And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 251 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, December 11th, 2020. And with me, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who simply can't believe the Cleveland Browns are 9-3, and three, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Congratulations. They look really good. Well, um, still a long way to go, my friend. I'm a Cleveland yeah, fan. Yeah, nine and three is better than three and nine, which is where my Cowboys are. You three are three and nine? So, yeah, or three and eight, I think. Oh, we play this geez. weekend. So, yeah. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm pretty happy with the play. I've seen more wins this year than I think in the last six or seven combined. So it's been pretty, <laughs> it's been, it figures 2020 is the year. Your Sundays have been lots better than my Sundays. Let's put it that way. That's true. But a lot of people, you know, who've been listening to this podcast know that I'm a Brown season ticket holder. I go to all the home games and I have for the last 15 years. And this is the year that I really want to see a good person and haven't been able to. But it's been great watching them on the television and seeing them win and Baker and Chubb and Hunt and. No OBJ, which is seems to be working out just fine. <laughs> right. Well, that usually works out for everybody. Isn't that better. something? <laughs> you lose your best yeah. receiver and then you go on a you know five game win streak. But yeah, we're we're excited. Actually, my friend said, You ready for the playoffs? I said, Hey, stop right there. You're counting your chickens here. <laughs> Nothing Playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> we need we need at least one more victory and, and two to to clinch it. So yeah, yeah, I'm very very excited about that. So yeah, uh, somebody tells me this is our last episode of the year. Is this true? Ah, <sighs> yeah. Well, we may have a little bit of a bonus thing coming up uh, in a week or a week and a half, just to supplement and put something underneath the proverbial holiday tree. Um, but yes, this is our last regular episode of the year from a scheduling perspective. So yeah, here we are. It went, you know, 251. 251. You know, and it's funny because I've been, right? and you saw I shared on Facebook because I've been looking at the PNR archives or this old marketing archives. And I found the, when we did, uh, this old marketing live from Sydney, Australia in 2013. Which we've done twice. We've done, yeah, we've done twice in the, in the. In the entirety of the run of this show, we have done two live shows, both of them drinking shows. Well, um, both of them and in, in Content Marketing World. <laughs> yep. Both of them kicked off Content Marketing Worlds, one in Australia and one in Cleveland, yep. Ohio. And yeah, the, you know, it's funny looking at those pictures. You look really drunk, actually, because you had three <laughs> red, red wines in front of you. And it, it looked like looking at the picture progression you were taking a drink out of a different one every time because it looks like you were trying I, to play a melody with a knife every very well could have been <laughs> especially in australia because i had the you know when you travel to australia what happens is you know this because you've done it so many times you know you you end up your clock gets completely thrown off yeah and and so you know as it moves into the evening, you're trying to push yourself to sort of stay awake and you get a little, you know, you get a little tipsy even without having a couple of glasses of wine. And, you know, when I was uh, hosting the show, it was, yeah, let's just say the wine was, you know, and here's the thing. 
and I blame Craig Hodges for this, um, who was the uh, then CEO of King Content. And he, yeah, he sponsored. Uh, he sponsored. He that sponsored the show. whole thing. Yes. He kept putting wine in front of me, and it's not like it was bad wine, right? It wasn't like bar out of the well wine. No, he he had brought special bottles of this amazing Australian Syrah uh, that was just un, uh, unbelievable. So you know, I, I I have every good rationalization for having three wine glasses. In was front that of me. no? Was that the year we went? Swimming with the sharks or whatever we did. Yes, is that the same yeah, that year? That was the no, no, no. Sorry, no. That was the following. That was year. the following year that we yeah, did that was the, the following bridge, year. We did the bridge climb. No, the year that we the pictures are there is the year that we did the bridge climb. The year that after that was when it was just you and me, pretty much. And we did the we did the boat tour with the with them and swam with the sharks in the in uh, Sydney Harbor. Yeah, people see listeners probably think we're idiots because they're like, <laughs> they are they're like, oh, look at those two talking about their exploits in Sydney, Australia. But I, you know, I barely remember them except yeah. for our, our, I was a little. Our, I our to, listeners don't sound like that, by the way. They do. They definitely don't have that kind of voice. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I got to tell you, I was a little bit nervous jumping in because I think I jumped into the water. And we were going to swim to the the beach or the sandbar or something like that. Yeah, then they tell right. me that there's sharks, and then well, they didn't tell us until after, right? We're sitting there. I didn't even think anything of it. I, I was like, you know, swimming, and you know, and 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 they were like, and then when we got into the boat and we started having lunch and stuff, and they started talking about, wow, it's such a great day because we haven't really seen any sharks because normally there's so many sharks. Here oh, and they the were bay. talking it's about like, the woman who got who died like a right. couple weeks before. I mean, I, then I, that's when I sort of, yeah, I freaked out. I know. I think that I think they really did that. We were we were bait. We were being yeah. used for bait because somebody said, "Look, it. We don't want more Australians to die in these freak shark accidents. So that's let's right. bring in a couple of Americans and throw them the in the water white and see Americans. what happens." Yes, yeah, exactly. It's exactly yeah. what happened. We got lucky. Yeah, we're lucky we're here. <laughs> <laughs> Good times, my friend. Good times. Good times. Well, should we get uh, yeah. get ourselves let's, to the news because the, there is the a thing. lot of news, other than our fearless leader who seems to not um, not want to leave. Um, there is a ton of news to talk about here uh, over the last week and a half or so, and we've tried to pick the you know some of it. So some of it we'll have to go through pretty quickly here to get to all of it. But we wanted to start with what is uh, certainly the most breaking, I guess, of news. <clears throat> And that is about our friends at Facebook, who uh, just um, just this week, literally as we go to air here, are being sued by the Department of Justice and the uh, uh, Federal Trade Commission for, I guess, what they're calling illegal monopolization. Um, we're going to actually link to a, uh, a, a note from the FTC itself which is saying the Federal Trade Commission today sued Facebook, alleging that the company is illegally maintaining its personal social networking monopoly through a years-long course of anti-competitive conduct following a lengthy investigation in cooperation with a coalition of attorneys general of 46 states, the District of Columbia, and Guam. <laughs> leave it to Guam to throw. Yeah, us that too. That was the tipping um, point, was Guam. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. was the tipping point. The complaint alleges that Facebook is engaged in a systemic uh, strategy 
including its 2012 acquisition of up-and-coming rival Instagram, 2014 acquisition of mobile messaging WhatsApp, and the imposition of anti-competitive conditions on software developers to eliminate threats to its monopoly. Uh, it goes on to sort of explain what they're doing. and even has a lovely video um, oh, of nice. the whole situation. Yeah, so... Um, I definitely have a take on this, um, and it's going around right now. It, uh, it, if it didn't fill your Facebook feed yesterday, it certainly filled mine. Um, what, uh, what say you, Mr. Pulitzi, about the Facebook facing what Microsoft faced in 1997? Yeah, I think, I think Facebook is the poster child for what is a movement back toward... Um, antitrust or uh, to toward that effort of breaking up more big companies. And I think what we've seen, and I don't know exactly the dates, but Microsoft, I mean, there's been a, there's been some issues here and there, but Microsoft was that big one that it seemed the U S government was going after. And then you had a period, 20 year period of calm of not much right of big business, big pro business, nothing going on, nothing to see here. And now I think this is the signal that the government's saying, look, we've got to crack down on some of these big tech companies. This should not be a surprise. It's been, uh, we've heard a lot about it in the press about, uh, you know, big tech companies ruling too much, having too much power. So I think you're going to see the Apples and the Googles and even Microsoft's again, uh, Amazon come back into play. And this is going to be an issue, I think, for the next 10 years. I think you're going to see, and I don't know what's going to happen. They have so much power. They own so much. I mean, you could make you could basically make a monopoly case for twenty companies in the United States right now, easily. Whether or not you want to do that, I don't know. So, what's yeah. your, what's your take? What do you think? Well, I think this is you know largely theater, um, you know, and and I think it, it you know I I would like them to just skip to the end where Facebook uh, accepts a number of regulatory conditions around their acquisitions and the way that they treat themselves as a media company and, and quite frankly, police their content, which is what we all want, quite frankly, um, you know, it, it is that, that, that there's some level of responsibility that they take for what goes out across their platform, you know, and I think we're a long way from getting there. Um, you know, I think we're, you know, we're, you know, I mean, get ready for the summertime hearings, That'll be live streamed with Zuckerberg, you know, in the hot seat. Lots of memes around him being very robotic and not human and ha ha. And it's really great. And senators making long, stern speeches about something that they don't really understand. That's true. And lots of memes around that. And then we get to the point where they lose. You know, the government will win. Facebook will appeal. It'll go to some appellate court, um, and the appellate court will find that there's really just no way to break it up in some segmented way. But Facebook will then say, "Hey, listen, we'll we'll you know bow down to these regulations and these regulations and these new rules, and everybody will go great, and they'll settle." Which, by the way, was exactly what happened to Microsoft back in 1997 through early 2000s, right? So, to your point, yeah, get ready for multiple years of you know basically three minutes of mainstream news coverage every, you know, every week, you know, sort of giving you the, 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 the ongoing box score of, of who's winning and who's losing. And by the way, interestingly enough, to your point, 
the I think it's fascinating that a lot of the a lot of the the sort of social posts that I've seen is like, oh, when's Google going to get it? When's Google already got it? It's already happening to Google. Well, you know, we were just too busy two months ago you know, trying to figure out when QAnon actually became like a real thing to sort of notice the fact that the DOJ and the FTC filed suit against Google a month and a half ago. So it's already going for Google, right? So all these things are going to happen around the same time. No, I think your idea of theater is, is spot on. I, yeah. I Ultimately, I don't think much is going to happen outside of small concessions, but it's definitely going to be a trend in the news for a long time. And we're right. Really That's exactly talking right. all yeah. about it. We got and I, I really he's he's not pleasant to look at. I don't want to look at Zuckerberg all the time. And, okay. Well, it's just yeah. That's why I want to just skip to the end. I want to get to the you know. It's like you know. It's that old Kramer from Sun. Can't you just tell me the name of the movie you'd like to see? You know. It's like you know. I just one. I just want to get there. Right. You know. Do we really have to go through all this sort of pomp and circumstance and, you know, listen to, you know, senators go, well, Mr. Zuckerberg, when you are thinking about your competitive services, what do you think? And then have Zuckerberg go, well, sir, you can't really actually stifle innovation because innovation takes time and it takes scale and and all of that. And everybody go, ooh, he's talking about innovation. It's like, no, no, just get to the end. Well, at least at least the senators know a little bit about Facebook because they're all on Facebook. But they were talking about TikTok before. They had no clue. So at least this is something. Yeah, but they know Facebook like, you know, that, you know it's, it's going to be like, when I like something versus heart something versus the care oh, symbol, what is actually on. the difference the, between that? The core know? age group is that that's the core age group for Facebook right now. Is sixty and over, but they don't understand the technology behind it. They don't understand the 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 meaning and and the the real life, you know, integration. You know, I read one article which I thought was fascinating that talked about how Facebook is racing right now to integrate and tie in Instagram technology even tighter, right? So so basically, their argument is going to be: Look, you know, it's embedded into our systems now, so you can't. There's no way to break it up. We can we can you know we can disassociate from the brand if you like and and instagram could go off and do its own thing under instagram brand but sorry the technology's already there you know what i mean it's like you know at that which is a a valid which is you know, true argument. i mean if the the ad yeah. platforms yeah absolutely it's but i don't think instagram you know. facebook is the issue they're really going after it's the messaging no, it's like it's a messaging it, system it's the continue it's the continued it's exactly right yeah, it's yeah it's exactly right that's exactly right. Right. So so and, and so that's why I'm like, get to the end, right? Where they start taking responsibility for what it is they're doing. And they because by taking responsibility for what they're doing and treating them like a media company, you can argue, I would argue anyway, that they then actually do have some of the same weaknesses, if you will. Um, it levels the playing field on a competitive set against other media, right? In other words, if NBC or ABC or some broadcast media system launched a Facebook competitor, well, they would be subject to all of the sort of regulations that they have as a broadcasting network, as a, as a media company. Facebook somehow escapes that because it was launched as Facebook. So if you argue that they are, you know, they're just like every other media company, well, then they'd have to comply with all the same things that media companies have to comply with. And quite frankly, the playing field would be leveled a little bit. That's true. Yes. 
But the fact is, is that every company is a media company. Oh, well, <laughs> well yes. and that gets us and, to our next yeah, let's, story. Let's just move it along. <laughs> nice segue, Mr. Yeah, you got it. You Sometimes know. I'm on, most of the time I'm not, but there you go. That's right. All right. Well, this one is a really fun one to talk about um, and uh, another interesting news story. Um, and you'll see why we group these things together. This one comes to us courtesy of the Pointer uh, group, uh, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R, Pointer Group, the wonderful journalistic group. Um, and a big thanks, by the way, to Debbie, is it Johanning? Um, did I get her name, last name right there, Joe? Uh, Debbie Johanning? Uh, I think who so. Who sent this over yeah, via the I email? So. Yep. Yeah. So um, the headline here is When the News Comes Back to Town. Uh, this small Kansas town first uh, lost local news in 2009. Now, the University of Kansas's J School is bringing it back. J School, by the way, journalism school. Um, and it goes through sort of a first party, which I won't read, uh, in the lead around how um, they're, they're changing this. But basically, the, the article goes through this wonderful story of how the, uh, this newspaper, the Eudora Weekly Enterprise News Reporter, um, really just sort of became revamped through the journalism school, uh, sort of taking over and saying, we'll, we'll do it. Um, and I think it's just a fascinating article that, that talks about all the things that we've been talking about, certainly, which w- in regard to local news and who should be responsible for it and how it might be evolved in, you know, in the 2020 digital world that we live in. Um, and it's fascinating. What, I, I know this is near and dear to your heart. What did you think about this? I think this is the a major trend you're going to see for the next five years. And I, yeah, while I love this model that the journalism school at Kansas is doing this, it's much more difficult for them to get it done. I think from an educational standpoint, it's great, but they talk about in the article, you know, when the kids go on break during the summer, it's hard to keep this thing going because it's relentless, right? It's a, right? It's, a, it's a local newspaper that's semester-based. Yes, <laughs> it's, a, it's you know, anybody who covers the news knows that it never stops, right? It's relentless. You always have to be on. I think the opportunity is what we're going to see is bigger companies, and we've talked about this many times on the show, but I think now is really the time. We, we, we see that there is a local news desert. It's absolutely a thing. If you go into any small town in any state in the union right now, they probably have minimal local news presence, if, if any at all. This is the opportunity to do what I think a lot of big companies have thought about doing charity. You know, you do charitable work, right? And you get that charitable, charitable work out and, oh, we're so good. I think you're going to see the same thing with this kind of an effort with, if I'm going to call it philanthropy or charity or whatever, purpose-driven, goodwill, content for a greater good, whatever, you're going to see this happen. Now, I love what – I've got uh, a couple friends of mine that have started the landcle.org. So basically it's the Cleveland local news focus, and they started that because the Cleveland Plain Dealer, our newspaper, really became more of a syndicated paper owned by a larger company, which has happened – a lot in the United States, and there hasn't been a lot of local news coverage. So they started that. Again, a small organization. They're looking for donations. It's very time-intensive, and they don't have the the revenues or the money to really put a lot into it yet. I hope they, they do. But I think a big company, I think this is a huge opportunity. For example, 
it the land in Cleveland should really go to Progressive Insurance, who sponsors Cleveland Indians baseball and spends millions of dollars on that every year. They should just help these. They they could sponsor the whole local news program if they wanted to. You could you can do this. It's almost like a rounding error to these large brands to do something like this, and it's so important. So, what would the benefits be of doing that? I think it would be. I think it's a huge opportunity, especially because local news is hurting. So great, Kansas is doing this great model. I'd like to see more corporations do it. I agree. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think in, you know, if you think about, um, you know, it's funny. I'm working with a uh, one of the projects we're working on right now is with uh, one of the big telcos, right? So I won't say who it is, but it, you know, there's only like three of them. So you know, you you, you could guess who it is. Um, and it's fascinating to me that all of them, because one of the things we're doing is a competitive analysis. Um, you know, and the competitive analysis we're doing is on business services, right? So, you know, things like, um, you know, internet connectivity and networking and storage and email and, you know, all the things that they are, they're, they're offering small businesses local, right? It's all local stuff. Um, and so the interesting thing to me is every single one of them without exception has a stadium in some city, right? And, and usually in the city where they're headquartered, um, and it's their main thing. And all of them have a stadium named after them. And for, prob- I'm going to throw a number out here, 5%, 10% of the stadium naming cost, 3% of the stadium naming cost, they could sponsor and or fund the local newspaper. And it's it, it's amazing to me that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, well, like uh, your own Cowboys. 18, I know. AT&T, AT&T Stadium. stadium. How much did is. they pay for that deal? A billion plus dollars it, a lot yeah a lot yeah let's just put it at a lot you know certainly they could for what they paid for that they could have they could they could they could literally fund local newspapers for years and i love and we're going to talk about this in a little bit but i love a lot of the in some cases laid off local journalists that are covering certain areas the problem is they just don't have enough funding there's just not enough of them right now maybe maybe that'll change but right yeah. now, there's just not enough of that going on, and I, I would like to see some of these companies take a stand. Maybe they will. Absolutely. Maybe yeah, they'll listen absolutely. to this. Maybe. Maybe they will do something. <laughs> Hello? They're the listeners that have the voices like this. They, they, they're the ones who talk like this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our next story, which is one that has been sent over a lot this week. Um, and thanks to all of you for sending this over. It immediately, as you might expect, caught our attention as soon as we saw it. Um, so we'll just thank the entire audience for throwing this over. This uh, the, A lot of uh, news outlets are covering this, but of course, we'll link to marketingdive.com, which was a, a fun one. Um, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken, KFC, gets steamy with Lifetime Movie starring Mario Lopez as Colonel Sanders. Um, yeah, believe it. KFC has partnered with Lifetime, the television network, on an original mini-movie starring Mario Lopez as brand mascot Colonel Harlan Sanders, according to a press release. A Recipe for Seduction uh, premieres December 13th 
at noon, which will be next week, so I, I can't wait. I have it in my schedule, uh, and follows the form of a typical Lifetime original movie, promising suspense, romance, and the potential for foul play. <laughs> That was my favorite part. That was my absolutely favorite part of that whole release. Um, the 15-minute short, Timed Around Holiday, presents KFC's first custom piece of mid-form branded content with Lifetime. KFC is using the occasion to promote a partnership with Uber Eats, where users can get six free extra crispy chicken tenders with a purchase of $20 or more. Um, yeah, then the article goes on to talk about what Marketing Dive thinks about the whole thing. They actually have a little clip of the uh, preview um, for it. Uh, you know, there were people out there wondering whether we would be ranting on this. And I saw lots of people on Twitter going, ew, and this is awful, and how can they, and, you know, sort of facepalm and all that kind of stuff. I, my reaction is exactly the opposite. I Now, I haven't seen it yet, and it could be very cringy. I, I, there's no doubt about it that the execution of this is important. But if they lean into this and they lean into this, the, the, what their brands is and what they've been doing with all of these major stars that they're getting to sort of do guest appearances as, as Colonel Sanders, I, I love this idea. I, I think this is a fabulous idea. What do you think? I have nothing but wonderful things to say about this. Yeah. I think it's so on brand. We, I mean, again, ten years ago, we were talking about you know, Starbucks. It you know, movies are going to be brought to us from Starbucks and uh, you know, they're, they're Burger King and Arby's and whatever. And we're we're finally starting to see it. This one just happens to be totally on brand. This is just, I mean, this is this is not uh, you know where you have a company like an Amazon funding a movie. This is pure sponsored content at its finest. And I got no problem with it at all. I, I want to watch it. I, I just was a little disappointed. I'm it was going to watch it. I'm absolutely I, going to watch I it. I didn't like that. The only thing I would do different is I don't like the 15-minute short. I don't. It's a short. I want it to be the real deal. I want it to be a regular whatever hour. Is an hour or two hours? Whatever it is. Hour well, and okay. So here's the thing about that, though, right? So first of all, there's the production cost of that. Yeah, true. And And the second thing is, is that you know, I have, if I'm lifetime, I'm going an hour is a lot of inventory to give away for this. They're not giving That's it away. Week. They're getting paid. Oh, I know they're getting paid. I know they're getting paid, but there's, there's no way KFC is going to pay for an hour of inventory. There's no way there's, there's, they are not charging them. I, I guarantee you they're not charging them an hour of normal inventory. Or even fifteen minutes. What are they charge? They're charging this them. The, they're charging them the space, and they're charging them that they did. They did the production, guessing, right? I'm guessing there's mo there's money changing hands. There's no doubt about that. But I'm there's a, it's very. This is co-produced, by the way. They they co-produced this, so I'm sure KFC um, hired them to actually produce this thing too. So the I'm betting that the money that changed hands here is. Lifetime getting paid to produce and create this content, not for the airtime. Oh, it's got to be that's both. That's my bet. It's got to be both. That's, I, you know, there's, this is there's an experiment no, for it, that. I, I mean, I'm not familiar with, with television, but if, you, if anything in business custom content, you pay for both. You pay for the space. So if you did a, if you did, they might be. If you did a twenty-four I mean, page supplement, if you did a twenty-four page supplement, you pay for the production of the supplement and the editorial, the design, the printing, and you right. also but pay they're for not, the insertion. But 
but they're not paying for 15 times one minute of ad space. No, they probably got a bulk discount the, and, well, a, and a saying. bucket of that's chicken wings. Th- <laughs> Regardless of yes. us going into the minutiae yeah. of this, I, it's you know, two snaps up and two gravy. snaps up, five snaps up. It's I love this idea. <laughs> it's fantastic. I am yeah. definitely watching this. I think Mario Lopez was the perfect choice for Colonel Sanders, by the way. Oh, and they've I'm got already, the, they've I look got the at woman him and that's I'm coming giggling. Yeah. I think it's just fantastic. It's it's great. Yeah. And then they have the the woman who's gonna star in it as well as from all of these telenovelas. Um it's just it's it's perfect. It's it's it, hopefully it's good. Gosh, I hope it's good. But I've, it doesn't I really matter. want it to be good. Because if it's it does cringy, a little bit. If it's it does, cringy, no, it does a little bit. No, it does it a little bit. If it's yes. cringy, it's on brand. If it's cringy, uh, it's on brand. It, it, no, it needs to be the right kind of cringy. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really hopeful for it. I'm, I'm really hopeful for it. Yeah. This is going to be okay. This is going to be so big. This is going to take off. We're going to talk about it. Obviously, people are going to have watch after the, parties after around Christmas this and order their, yeah, order their, uh, <laughs> their KFC family packs. And they're going. This you're going to see this uh, turn into more and more of these things, and a full hour and a half lifetime sequel. I, you know, I I could see that very much happening. I mean, that I could absolutely see this this happening. Oh, it's happening, yeah. sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh no. Oh no. And and, and that's it's and that's where we jump the shark yeah, with this story. Exactly. Okay. It's it's happening, exactly. sweetheart. Okay, let's move on to our next story here, um, which uh, comes to us from, uh, I guess it's the what is the the it's CJR, which is uh, the Columbia Journalism Review. Thank you very much. Notes, but very um, hard to find. There's no header on this page. I mean, I it know. is There's, you have not. to really it's, search for it. <clears throat> well, it's a deep link for sure. It's it's right to the post. Um, big thanks to Carmen Hill. Of course, friend and family of, of of the show. So for such a long time, um, thank you so much, Carmen, for sending this over. This is really interesting, and I know this is going to resonate with you, Mr. Polizzi, because it is about email. And the headline is the sub stackerati, which, by the way, kudos to the author for this because that's just fantastic headline. Um, the subhead here is: Did a newsletter company create a more equitable media system, or replicate the flaws of the old one? Uh, and this one also opens up with a first-party story, uh, so it makes it a little more difficult to cover here on the news. But um, basically, this is a very long article, but very, very much worth the time investment of the read. Um, and it basically gets to talking about how. There has been, as we all have realized, a incredible rise in journalists finding second, sometimes first, sometimes third careers um, in starting Substack um, email newsletters and getting paid for it, getting paid for their great creativity, their writing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then the article actually starts to question and say, but is are we creating because of the sort of winner takes all and sort of the leaderboards that they're putting on the front page and uh, some of the things that um, uh, that Substack is doing, um, you know, a bit of the same kind of challenges we have now with social media and some of the same kind of challenges that we have, which is not rising very much diverse voices because what you're getting is sort of, you know, a sort of 
continuing cycle, if you will, of most popular wins, right? The, the ones who are getting the clickbait and the click, uh, you know, click headlines are getting more success, more subscribers, more readers, and those who are actually creating substantive things are getting a little bit buried. I, I'm not sure where I am on that argument, but I would love to get your take because I know you're deep into this right now. Yeah, I don't. This is the first iteration of Substack. I believe that. Now, first of all, people might not know what Substack is. So Substack is an e-newsletter service that generally what we've seen is a lot of reporters and journalists who have been laid off or want a new career or want to create self-sustaining revenue. They'll go on Substack. Generally, they start a free newsletter and then evolve that to paid. Some that already has sustained audiences can immediately start off with a paid so if those that don't have an audience really have to work at it, just like any other content marketing model, and uh, and those that do have an audience, you can charge right. I think five dollars is the minimum, Robert, that you can charge, right. uh, and then some charge hundreds of dollars per subscription, uh, and some are working out really well. I've seen ton- tons of stories over the last six months about writers really doing well on this platform. I think the next iteration I want to get your take on this, Robert, is. I don't want it's not a Huffington Post thing, but I do think there's an opportunity. And I know and you read the article, Substack is talking about how they are a platform. Sounds familiar, right? From Facebook. They're not a media company. They're saying the same things, but they have an opportunity to unearth some amazing local journalism and niche journalism. And there is a findability problem. I don't I mean they do surface some writers, but most of it is not. Most of it's just Here's the software, here's the service, email service, whatnot. I, I could see a bigger network happen where you know you, you've got thousands of different so almost like you want to go find some really good local in-depth reporting and you want to subscribe to something, you could go to a substack.com and find that. I think that's a couple years down the road. In the meantime, talked to a few people that that have uh, Substack followings. And outside of the fact that it just takes time, they seem to be very, very happy. I think Substack takes like 10%, maybe a little bit more uh, for the payment system and everything. But uh, I, I like the fact that there's something for a lot of journalists that have been let go. And there's, there's a, actually a business model here. Um, but I, I see something a little bit bigger in the future. I don't know if you do. I do. I think, um, you know, this is a, it's, it's the growing pains that you see with any platform. Um, and I suspect there will be competitors as well, right? I mean, and there are competitors. Yeah. Lead is another one I didn't know about was mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So there will be, somebody will get this right. Um, and I think, you know, in, in much the same way that we saw, uh, Patreon takeoff on blogging, um, the way that we're seeing some of the new paid podcast um, uh, models take off with some of the solutions. The email is going to be the same way, and you know. And by the way, someone's going to come and roll all this up together, right? Um, and you know, and you can argue that there that there are already solutions for that too, right? So, you know, I think there are there are so many ways to monetize content these days. Um, and what you see with companies like medium and Substack and, and those lead, those that are looking for, to help create a, 
centralized place where you can discover new content creators, um, you know, the, the challenge always becomes how do you help people discover that? You know, I, I think, you know, and we've talked about this on the, on the show many times, one of the real platforms that has truly figured this out in an interesting way is TikTok, right? And, and you know, they have, I, I don't know what they're doing with their algorithm, but it really is. Yeah, if it's good content, good. you can explode. It, it, you don't need a You're going to find it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're like going to discover it. And it's, and it's not about popularity and it's not about, you know, necessarily. And it's not about sort of virality, but, but, you know, that always becomes, you know, the, I remember in the early days of YouTube when it became sort of the thing du jour to start up your YouTube channel and, and, and become, you know, a YouTuber and everybody was all happy and everybody was, it was great and it was fantastic. And then all of a sudden people started going, but wait a minute, the algorithm, if I don't publish every week is pushing me off the front page. And even if I have subscribers, they don't see my new content because the algorithm is pushing something else that's ad driven and not my content. And, you know, and now we have a whole YouTube drama thing about how YouTubers are getting screwed out of, you know, their ad revenue and, and all of that. And so all of these things are going to go through, evolutions and and quite frankly i think substack is no different mm -hmm. you know it's no different from any of the other platforms that are gonna try and and it'll either survive or not based on you know based on whether um you know whether content creators are encouraged to create there i think the journalists that i've talked to where they struggle with this they just want to cover the beat and part of being on substack is you have to focus on audience building and discovery they don't well, like yeah, that, I mean, and most of them I talk to right. don't like to do that. They don't yeah, want well, to be welcome to twenty twenty, right? I mean, you yeah. know, I mean that's, I mean, welcome to twenty twenty, and you know, music artists have had to deal with this. Um, uh, you know, authors have had to deal with this. Public speakers have had to deal with this. Now journalists are dealing with it, right? This is, you know, this this is the new this is the new digital world that we live in, and it's, you know. Just like New York Times had to alter their business model, well, journalists are going to have to alter their business model. And the opportunities as well as the risks are as equal as high, right? And so, you know, I mean, I, one, of, one, of our, one of my other clients is a, is a wonderful um, uh, company that teaches lawyers, right? They teach lawyers how to, how to be lawyers, and, you know, how they should develop their firms and how they should hire and how they should market themselves. And lawyers are dealing with this in it's a huge disruption right now going on in legal services where, you know, lawyers are trying to figure out how to do marketing better and how to do advertising and social media and blogging and all of that. And guess what it's taking away from? It's taking away from billable time that they're spending with clients. And but that's life. That's that's what we're dealing with these days. And so, you know. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword, you know, with with direct to consumer relationships. Guess what? Comes consumer relationships. You know what I mean? It's like you want the power of going direct to the consumer, you got it. And guess what you have to do? You have to develop a relationship with the consumer. It's it's a little bit funny that way. That's it's true and, and but honestly what I would so again, we have a lot of enterprise marketers that listen to this. Here's another one. Put together your list of the 5 to 7 Substack authors that you really like that that talk to your audience and roll them up, buy them. Yeah, that's buy right. their audiences, buy their because on I mean I have actually talked to somebody that is doing great with their Substack but hates it 
because doesn't just wants to write, doesn't want to do all the other stuff, doesn't want to worry about the finances, just wants wants somebody to get you know, deliver this message to that audience. Well, big corporation can do that too, and they have the money for it. Again, I know I talk about acquisitions all the time, but man, there's just so much opportunity right now. And here, here, writers doing it. A lot of cases, they want some help. Help is out. Help is available. So. That's right. That's right. Well, all right. So that's enough of that. So our final story here that we'll cover in this episode, another wonderful one here, um, which comes to us courtesy of, and we've, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm starting to think that this is one of our favorite sites here. Um, what's new in publishing? I love this site. This I love this site. site. They do a great it's, job. Yes. They do a nice job. Um, headline here is, Publishers that have served their audience well are now reaping the rewards. Key trends for 2020 and beyond. Um, and the article opens up by saying, what a year this has been, packed with uncertainty, disruption, innovation. Oh, my. That's my oh, my, by the way. That, that I did that. <laughs> they missed opportunity, in my opinion. But anyway, uh, a truly historic year. And now, has it been, and how, rather, has it been for publishing? What's new in publishing's latest edition of the annual Media Moments 2020 report delves into that. And it goes through and then highlights a few of the findings from the wonderful Media Moments 2020 Great report, by the way. Highly uh, recommend getting into it. Um, there's highlights from stable and growing audience. Um, 2020 was the year of audio renaissance, um, and they go through a little bit of that. They talk a little bit uh, about the playing much better to the strength of, of, of publishing companies using you know alternatives um, and contextual targeting, digital subscriptions. Uh, investing in journalism, uh, a number of things that are just uh, uh, notable to them in terms of the themes and trends for 2020 and beyond. Uh, anything in here that sort of took you by surprise and or resonated particularly with you? That oh, you, we've uh, talked. Yeah, we've talked about most of them. I think that 2020 is the year, even though podcasts have been around for a long time, is maybe the year of audio and 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 the year of audio sponsorship. I think in a lot of cases, and they go through some of these numbers and how much more advertising money is going to podcasts, that has just accelerated over the last year. And I also think at the same time, you're seeing this, and they talk a little bit about the death of advertising, or but I'm thinking of, of it like the death of display, like some of these ads I'm seeing on this site right now that just drive me crazy. I, right. I think that that is going away. I think having... Having a display ad on your site is going to come with some stigma in the future, and you're going to start seeing that evolve into what you're seeing right now and things like um, Morning Brew, where they're, they're spon it's sponsored content. Clearly, clearly stated sponsored content, but part of the editorial um, has a little bit different take to it than just an ad. And, um, and then, of course, your favorite, first-party data. Yeah, I mean, and that's where we lead into email again. You think that every year that goes by, email is going to go away, but it just gets stronger. And especially with all the privacy regulations, email has, has gone back to the forefront and people have to think about how do I have direct connections, opt-in connections with my audience. And geez, who, who would have thunk it that all the social media and communication channels that we have emails on the top? It's amazing, you know, but it is it is truly the 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 best unique identifier we have for 
for, you know, for uh, first party data. Yeah. It is where we can sort of tie everybody back to one identifier, you know, and there, there are, I recognize, I've been looking at this long enough to recognize that there are other ways to start to do that now and, and other ways that some of the ad platforms and some of the MarTech platforms are starting to identify and provide for unique identifiers for, uh, for people um, that don't include email, but for most of business, um, you know, that either A, aren't buying some of these more sophisticated solutions or B, just doing things manually, email or phone number or physical address is still the best unique identifier of a piece of data to start to build attributes around. Um, and you know, it's the, and the renaissance of email, as we just talked about in the previous story, really provides the, you know, the arg, the business case for that, right? So developing an ability to reach and create these subscribers through email or physical, um, is, you know, is the way to have a direct relationship with a, with our audience and know that we're reaching them, right? Know that we're actually getting through and have some measure of the ability to measure whether they stop caring or unsubscribe or don't like what we're saying because we're having a direct conversation with them. So, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we've said it on this show a million times, but this is at its core level. This is what makes, uh, a you know a, a every company a media company is that is that direct relationship with our audiences and trying to engage them to take actions that you know that benefit us in some way. You know it's interesting. It, COVID a lot of horrible things from COVID nineteen obviously, but this digital disruption of media business model, models has been really interesting to see this year because what. You know, we've talked about it for how many years, but what now I think you've really seen is the New York Times, Washington Post, and th those ilk have really said, we are ditching our old business models. Like, they always were hanging on to them. They're like, oh, I, you know, I think we can still do, do print advertising, and I think we can still... And you see all these business publications really hold on to old models, and then April came around, they said, all right, in, let's innovate. We can't, we can't do that. We've got to think totally different. Just like, um, you know, you saw that, uh, you know, we took the family out to dinner the other day and we sat in a plastic igloo. Uh, beaut it was beautiful. Make a plastic igloo, igloo sounds terrible, but it was awesome. <laughs> and it was, you know, there was, there was no contact with the server and we just sat in our own little sp safe space, but we were actually out to eat and we got served and it was great. And I looked at all these, it was outside the restaurant and they're all in the parking lot and all these igloos, they got little fires outside and they've got lights up and they created a little winter fest. And I, and I was looking at my wife and I'm like, this, this innovation is incredible. You know, they're doing, they, they have to do this to, to survive. Uh, and it's in some ways, a, some, sometimes a little bit better experience depending on how you're looking at it, and they've been able to do this. I think you're seeing the same thing with media. You're seeing these great new models that are saying, look, we don't just have to survive through advertising and sponsorship. We can survive eight, nine different revenue ways that I think yeah. we've talked about in a book called Killing Marketing, but anyways... Ah, you know, yeah. you, who 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 would have heard of that? But, who would have heard of such a such a concept? But that, yeah, but that business model with the ten—I mean, that is right now that 
if you're a media professional, you pick up that book and you're like, okay, this is it. This is the new this model. This is it. Yep. Yeah. So anyways. Well, speaking of new models, we have a wonderful sponsored message for all of you for this all, Christmas for season. For everyone, yes. <laughs> for everyone listening. God bless uh, us And actually, and time is running out on this one. Content Marketing yeah, University. Yeah. Enrollment is only open until the end of the year, December 31st, 2020. So you've got to enroll right now in this comprehensive content marketing education. I know personally some of the professors. I'm talking to one right now. <laughs> some, some of the professors. Yes, yes, you do. And the curriculum that Mr. Rose put together, 50 plus hours of content from top industry leaders. Uh, if you need more education and you want to be the best content marketer you can be, go to contentmarketinguniversity.com and enroll. Uh, and, uh, you know, you and I, it's funny, you and I were talking about this. We had the, con what did we come up with this idea? I don't know. Six years ago, something like that. We're like, we That's should right. do CMI University. Well, CMI University is now five, six years old. Some of the best trainers on the planet can help you in your content marketing journey. Try it now. Do it. Contentmarketinguniversity.com. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Yeah. You can't it's say stuff. it's wonderful, though, because you're in it. You well, can't really here's, do what that. here's what I, I would say, say is, it, is that all the can. other people are wonderful, right? There's the, here's the thing that's, is that, you know, one of the benefits of, of being so virtual this year is that we recorded so many more sessions uh, from content tech and content marketing world than we ever have before. Um, and so there's a lot more, it was a lot more material that we could get into content marketing university. Um, we had a lot more selection. So there's some really good new stuff in there. That's just, that's just really great for, for learners. Yeah. And I think if you sign up, you get a bucket of chicken, KFC chicken. There right? it is. Yeah. Isn't right. That Absolutely. Delivered to you yeah. by Mario Lopez. By Mario to Lopez. I, well, no, work. it's me. It's actually me dressed as Mario Lopez dressed as Colonel Sanders. You could that's, pull that's off a of Colonel Sanders, by the way. You could absolutely I, you know, do it. I don't know. I, I'm. It, it's. I'm not even going to attempt it right no, now. No, you should because... do a Colonel Sanders with a Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Except, <laughs> you don't have to do it. I'm not going to put you on the spot. But that's what I yeah. think of. It's like you. You got the look of Colonel Sanders, and then all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa, that's that's." Not... I want my chicken nuggets. <laughs> Perfect. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite, empirically proven favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go out on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like we're having a bucket of chicken or that we are a bucket of chicken. Um, do you want to go first? Or yeah, I'll go, go, I'll first? go first. Mine's really okay. brief. Uh, this is from our good, good friend of the show, has been for a long time, Igor Bielobrodic, I believe is how you say Igor's last name. Igor has been a great uh, proponent of the show, works with uh, Deloitte in Poland, and sent this article that I didn't see, so I'm glad he sent it. This is from DW.com, and the news is, Poland state-run oil company buys leading media group. And it says PKN Orlin has bought Polska Press from its German owners. Critics have expressed concern over the government's successful takeover of private media. And I wanted to share, um, Igor sent me a bunch of information on this and his take. So I wanted to share his take because he's in Poland. And I guess this 
I guess this is a rant or what's possible. I mean, you and I have talked about what is possible with content marketing and that sometimes it can get into the wrong hands. And that is what Igor's concern is. And Igor says this purchase is feared to be a way to control the media in Poland. Uh, and he says it looks like a content marketing strategy move. Buy your way in to have your own media. And then he says, think of all the possibilities it gives the state government to interact, learn about and influence the audience, the first party data available to them. And he says, frankly, he's a little bit scared of that. I think that in the U.S. we see some of those things, but maybe not to this extent about being purely state owned. But basically, Igor is part. Igor spoke uh, at Content Marketing World this year and he gave this prediction. He says, content marketing has won. Building owned audiences is now a standard part of business practice. However, there is a perfect storm for politicians to start discovering the benefits of independence from rented land by adopting an owned media model to reap the benefits of addressing niche audiences ignored by mass media and owning first party data denied by social media. And that's from Igor. And uh, so... So I wanted to share this in his take. So thank you, Igor. Very thoughtful. Uh, thank you for sending this on. And I think this is something we should look out for. And I think this is something that's going to happen. And uh, you're going to see a lot of government entities and politicians see that this is just like you and I have talked about on this show, where corporations should buy certain media or support certain media. You're going to have the government do this as well. This is as a long history of state-run media. Uh that in a lot of cases uh, uh, in, in certain countries went away, but maybe you'll see a resurgence of this uh, since we've, we've got some wacky behavior going out around the world right now. And, uh, and, and certain wings of support that, that don't mind seeing this stuff happen. So it's a little bit, I, I agree with you. I don't know if you have a take on it, but I agree with you, Igor. It's, it's a little bit scary. It is a little bit scary. I mean, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where it's always about a balance, right? You know, it's it's always about, you know, I mean, because we, we, we opened this show with talking about Facebook and how we, I, you know, most people, I, most people, let's put it this way, most people who are inside baseball recognize that Facebook should have some additional regular, you know, most people like, you know, that just use Facebook don't care, right? Don't, don't, don't really think about this stuff, right? It's like, you know, it's a, it's a bit like privacy, right? You know, where, you know, we think people care about privacy, but people only really care about privacy when you ask them about privacy, you know, that the number of people who actually proactively go in and change their privacy settings uh, on their browser and in Facebook and on their mobile phone is really low, right? And so it's only when we start you know, if, if I ask you, do you care about, well, of course I care about privacy. Well, have you changed your setting? Well, no, I haven't done anything like that. And it's a little bit like that with Facebook and, and the freedom of media, which is, you know, we, we want some regulation, but we don't really care about regulation until it does something that we don't like. And that balance is really hard. And, but when you start, you know, hearing about state run media and that sort of thing, it gets, you know, it gets scary quick, right? You know, the, the level of control and, you know, what you can trust is is really, it, it's a big thing. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, yeah, we've seen what it's done in China. And yeah, <laughs> and now now you have this possibility right. in, in Poland. They're not doing it directly, but they're doing it through 
an operation that they own a piece yeah. of. So, you know, you're sort of backdooring it. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right. We will see. Sir, what do you uh, got? All right. Well, I have two very quick things. Um, they are both raves. Um, or, well, I guess one is more commentary than it is a rave, but the, the other is definitely a rave. Um, the first is, did you see um, that uh, Mr. Bob Dylan, he sold his I did catalog. see this, yes. Uh, he sold his entire songwriting catalog uh, in a blockbuster deal, which some are estimating to be 300 to $500 million. 600 songs so do the math um, on how much each song is worth now I have had the pleasure back in my day um, when I had a, a country music star as a client and did a little work on selling a publishing catalog so I know how that goes um, and so it's I will tell you it is a huge multiple um, that Mr. Dylan is getting if he's indeed getting 300 to 400 million dollars um, and it's it's amazing you know so for those of you who don't know when you sell your publishing catalog basically what it means is you're selling the rights to those songs no matter who sings them right and so as I understand it he's getting the rights to actually continue to sing them but basically anybody who covers you know blowing in the wind or you know any of his other songs are now going to pay and basically universal music group is going to get the dough for it what it makes me think of is first of all congrats i mean huge but it, it 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 what it makes me think of is how valuable great content becomes over time right so great classic content and how we're valuing it these days um and i wrote a little piece this was my weekly letter this week for for cmi but you know it, it made me start to think about you know, I look, I, I just for fun, I went back and looked at all my old white papers, um, going back to 2008, looking at, you know, my thousands of blog posts, um, looking at, you know, all of the things that I've been doing, you know, from infographics to, to videos to, you know, my, you know, my oeuvre, if you will, <laughs> of, of content and thinking, huh, I wonder what that would be worth. You know, I mean, probably less than it would you know, get me a nice dinner somewhere. Well, but, it's more, but, it'd be but, worth more than a bucket of chicken. Yeah, it may be. It may be. Maybe more worth than a bucket of chicken or at least worth a bucket of chicken. But if, but even if it was worth just a bucket of chicken, that's, that's an interesting thing. And it started to get me going on, you know, as we start thinking about more and more companies acquiring blogs, acquiring, um, uh, you know, and platforms. Well, the acquisitions of content are going there as well. And what it reminds me of is, is that as startup companies get acquired by bigger companies, are they valuing in their body of content, right? Their, their blog, their resource center, their white papers, and they should. And I just think it's a really interesting idea of starting to track our catalog of content uh, and the performance it's had so that we can value it like an asset to the business. So anyway, just made me think about that. Love it. Love it. Um, then uh, I wanted to just point out very, very quickly uh, this wonderful blog post um, that was sent over to me through the Twitter hashtag, by the way. So hat tip to Clayton Smith. Hi, Clayton. Um, thank you so much for sending this over. It is um, this wonderful blog post uh, by... Zoe, um, I don't know Zoe's last name, uh, but she is the founder at Bodacious, a strategy studio, uh, et cetera. And it's just, uh, it's, it's called From Frameworks to Flywheels. 
and how brand and businesses are driving new momentum, magic, and monetization. And it's just, it's just a really lovely, wonderful blog post that talks about many of the things that we talk about. Um, you know, there's certainly for those of you who are steeped in content marketing and content strategy, you're not going to find anything new here necessarily. As she says, audience is greater than brand is greater than product. And you know, it's putting audience first, right? And, and so she uses the Disney, um, you know, model here as one of her illustrations. Uh, and it's just a really delightful, wonderful blog post. Couldn't recommend it highly enough. Um, I don't know Zoe, um, and I'm sure she's not a listener of the show, but, um, just a, just a great piece. And I wanted to rave about it. So, so there you go. There you go. Perfection. Perfection. Yeah. It's always sad well, sir, to end, Christmas, end the year. Yeah. Last show. Yeah. Yep. There it is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and we I, are done. I, you know, yeah. that's all that's I have it. to say about that. that yeah, that, that's exactly it. And uh, I, I take it you're keeping it low key for the holidays. Uh, definitely, I'm literally going nowhere. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, we are actually going up to our little beach place, and we're going to spend a week and a half up there. Um, so we'll, you know, much drinking, much food, much rejoicing, much contemplation, much being grateful for the things that we have this year, and. Um, yeah, and then and then kicking off 2021 and hopefully putting this year in our rearview mirror. We got some fun things planned. I here think 2021 for, for is going to be a good year. Good year for it's going to be it's going to be a for great the show year. for our audience for everything for the world. I was having this I was having this very quick call and I know we're running out of time, but I but I had this really quick call with uh, uh, that I have on a regular basis at this mastermind group of economists. Um, and um, and they were one of the things that they were sort of all in agreement with was one of the things that's likely to happen next year is what they're calling a return to hedonism. So it's sort of like the all of this pent up energy that we all have. So places like Vegas and Manhattan and New Orleans and all these places where you can sort of just go like let loose are going to be like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. It, it, and, and I think it could be, you know, you know, cross your fingers, knock on wood, you know, whatever, you know, sort of things you do to, to bring in good karma. Let's just hope this vaccine thing sort of and everything, all of our social distancing and mask wearing and all that stuff works and that 2021 really sort of turns things around and we can get back to hugs and, and in person and, you know, a little bit of normalcy when it comes to uh, living life. Here, here, my friend. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Well, that is it, folks. We are signing off kind of for the year again just a little bit of a hint we might drop something over the holidays for you that might tee up some things so just watch your podcast feed for that but otherwise we are signing off for the year here if you liked this episode we are asking you to do two things one is go to itunes uh review us get get us a review we're trying to be the number one marketing podcast in the entire planet, and it's no small goal. So help us get there, won't you? And share it with a friend if you if you dig it. If you don't like it, don't share it unless you don't like the friend very much, and then you can send it to them, of course. Um, we're publishing twice a month now, but that might change. 
it might change here coming up. You might not, you know. So anyway, um, just stay tuned for some stuff coming up in the new year. Meanwhile, if you're over the holidays and you're just jonesing for more Joe Polizzi, you can, of course, get that at joepolizzi.com slash newsletter. And for me, you can get that at contentadvisory.net. All of those things will be in the show notes. Everything we linked to and raved and ranted about will be in the show notes. Um, so go check that out. And until we meet again next year, happy Christmas, happy new year. Uh, and remember, everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next year on This Old Marketing.